0: To the Scottish Indie Podcast, somehow I've managed to make it to 20 episodes, thanks to everyone who's listened so far, and today I've got another great guest, I've got Piero from the band Voodoos, how you going mate?
1: Hi, not too bad, not too bad yourself?
0: Yeah, can't complain, I've done pretty well, I feel like I could have opened most podcasts I've done recently with this question, but after the obvious lull over the last 16, 17 months, it seems like you guys are, are very, very busy again. Aye, uh, I but well, it's just kind of
1: happened over the past couple of weeks that we've been kind of inundated with gig offers and starting like to kind of starting back up again now. So it's good just to get back to normality, I suppose.
0: Yeah, that, that's it. it Must have kind of felt like you were almost put into cold storage over the the pandemic. So I take it it's just a case yeah, that you just just before the lockdown we were really busy. Well,
1: maybe about Christmas time. We were dead busy playing loads and loads of gigs. And then we kind of took like a wee two months out just to kind of write and stuff, I suppose. And then we played one gig with the dunce. And then the next day it was lockdown. And then that's been us for the past 18 months until pretty much
0: Transmit there. So just in terms of, I'll take off another one of the more generic questions, but for those that haven't heard Voodoos, how would you describe your styling of sound? Um, just energetic I
1: suppose energetic um, good tunes <laughs> don't really know uh, I suppose we take a lot of influences for bands like uh, The Vaccines The Strokes Um, so kind of in a similar vein to that very much indie rock Um, yeah that's pretty much it that's pretty much all the describers is
0: no, that's, a, that's a solid description, I would go with that. That's and um, What we'll do is we'll try and move back the way and then work our way forward, but it does seem like we might jump about a bit here, because we've been looking at the way you guys started out. What I thought was quite interesting was, and I've, I've heard you say it in other interviews as well, that you were very keen to write before you were playing live shows, so it wasn't the case that you were just going along to venues and playing covers. How important was that for you to to have that initial introduction to to writing and performing your own songs?
1: I think that's extremely important. Like, even though the songs that we wrote originally were pretty terrible, like, um, it's good just to start out writing your own songs, I think, um, making sure that you're, like, it's, it's so that you're not doing, like, covers. I feel like if I go and see a band they do a lot of the covers, it's, it kind of disappoints me a wee bit. Like, there's nothing really wrong with it. But just personally, I wanted to perform our own songs from the very beginning. And it was good as well just to, like, get the experience of songwriting out of the way and kind of write all the bad songs originally. And then we did kind of develop from there. So that was kind of what I originally thought at the start of the band, to just get, get the songs written and get playing them.
0: I guess the thing is as well that if you were to go along and see a band playing a full set of covers you're more than likely to go back home and listen to the band that were being covered rather than the actual band themselves so it, it kind of allows you to to build up a following rather than just being on someone's radar for, for playing someone else's songs. I think that's right.
1: I, I think that's a good point as well. I didn't really think about that but I think that's
0: a great point. The, the Priory on about. Hall Street seems to be a, a venue that's been a bit a staple of the band's history. You played a lot there when you were starting out and then last month, prior to transmit, you played there again, sold it out. It's clearly a place that, that means a lot to you.
1: Uh, uh, I, it's. I mean, that was pretty much where we played our first gig, I think, Um, our first proper gig anyway. Uh, it was part of the Club Sabbath. Um, I think we were, we were only seventeen or something at the time. Um, I played in there it was the like first gig, so after that, we had, a, <laughs> we had some night in there, and then we just kept going back. Uh, and then obviously, Club Sabbath started, and that's kind of where we met. Like, um, see, like bands at like the Dunt, uh, say Heads um, who were all like really good pals. by now. And um, I suppose it kind of started off the kind of the, the kind of Glasgow music scene as it is today. Um, just kind of hanging about in there, and then we thought when we came back for lockdown, we needed a gig basically to warm up for transmit because jumping straight into that would have been probably disastrous. <laughs> um, so we thought, why not go back to kind of where it all started, put a gig on the Priory and just get ourselves warmed up for it.
0: And it was obviously a venue that meant a lot to a lot of people. I saw Liam Gallagher donating some merchandise to to help fundraise. Uh, John Joke is your manager still, is, is that the case? Yeah, the experience that, that John's got and the, the contacts too, that must be a big help to the band in terms of moving you forward.
1: Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, it's it's good to have a manager that knows, you know, a lot of people in the industry that um, has a lot of kind of a good good con good contact base. But it's not it's not just about that as well. We like we're really good pals we joke. um, and it's just kind of it's just it's not really it doesn't feel like he's our manager as such. He's just kind of like a pal, but he helps us. It it's. It's brilliant like, to have that kind of relationship with a manager. um, Somebody that really wants you to do well and cares a lot about you. And uh, that's kind of what we've kind of built the band upon since we started working with them.
0: Yeah, that, that's key, isn't it? Because you hear so many stories across the industry uh, of people getting bad deals or, or getting screwed over or people just acting in self-interest. But when you've got someone that's going to champion what you're doing and and back your cause. Then that's that's half the battle. You've you've got someone with, with great experience. It's obviously got a, a venue that's a a huge part of the Glasgow scene, I and mean, he's, he's right behind you. That must be a, a fantastic feeling, and, and just kind of a bit reassuring at times as well that you've got people looking out for you.
1: Absolutely, yes, yeah, it's, it's great to have a good team around us. Um like he basically from there we've built like a great team uh, that can, can kind of take us forward for he, for here um we've got a uh, Matt it's from primary talent on board now he's uh, a booking agent so he's going to be getting us hopefully a lot of great gigs um as you can see we've been inundated with a lot of offers we've got a lot of gigs coming up uh over the next few weeks so that's kind of thanks to him uh, as well, and we've got, like, surrounding us, we've got a great team, so it's good to have that, good to have people backing you, and uh, hopefully that'll make us successful.
0: Looking through your gig history, you almost seemed to to do laps of Scotland in the early stages, how much did that help build up a, a loyal following? because it's clear now, especially like, the first time you played Tottenham. <laughs> you're selling that out within 24 hours that's not something that the bands do that often but you've built up that that loyal following and fan base the reaction to the support slots to the DMAs it was kind of universal yeah. excitement.
1: I, um, I know I, I was actually quite I was quite, quite taken aback by the reaction to us, uh, supporting DMAs to be honest with you a lot of people kind of tweeting saying that they couldn't think the gig could get any better. It's like things like that. and You know, it's good to see. Um, but I do think uh, originally kind of going around Scotland, um, we played a lot of shows in Glasgow. I think we just kind of kept playing in Glasgow and we didn't really play anywhere else for ages. Um, you know, we've, we've not really played that many gigs in Scotland. Um, when I actually think about it, most of them have been kind of festivals or, um, we did go into with the Latham's, which was, which was good fun as well. Um, but that was only a few dates down in England. I think I've done only three dates. Um, we've toured a couple of places in England, but I basically, most of the gigs I have been in Scotland, uh, like you say, doing laps it. Um But I, do, I think I, that has been integral to building it up. I think the more you play, the more people see your name, the more likely they are to go and listen to you, and the more, like, you know, the more chance you have of building up a fan base.
0: Yeah, that, that's it. And you mentioned the Lathams there. We toured at the, the, the back end of two thousand nineteen with them, and it's it's obviously difficult to predict a band would go on and achieve a number one album. But could you sense there was something about the Lathams then that was building and the momentum and the atmosphere around them was was really quite something because it seems yeah. they've always had that that really kind of cult following that we're going to. Drive them on to, to big things uh, it was it was really
1: strange actually because um, we were we played with them like maybe a couple of months before at this it was just a kind of family festival uh, down in Manchester and they were on before us uh, just directly before us Um, and there was basically there was there was nobody there nobody, there was nobody there for us either but there was nobody there to see the name and I was watching them, and I was thinking, "But well, these de- decent band, they're, they're pretty good." Um, and then maybe like a couple of months later, it was like I'd seen a poster for their tour, and it was like all sold out, and I was like, "No way! That can't be this. That, that's not the same <laughs> band." Um, and it was, and it just—I think it just kind of blew up for them. Um, you know, fair enough. Like it, it just kind of blew up uh, pretty quickly for them, and then we ended up on. Uh, on that tour with them, at like three sold out shows, and it was just, it was brilliant. Like when we watched them, they were they were excellent. The crowd were really going for it. So they seem to have a brilliant following, and obviously they've got a number one album now. So fair play to them.
0: I it definitely looks like a good tour. That I think the the Lands gigs tonight actually, and it seems that they've just they've got this kind of momentum that. Selling out everywhere and just Just, they seem to be everywhere as well. So, that's fair play.
1: It is mental, eh? no, it's mental. Uh, It's really, they've really, they're not really stopping, I don't think. (laughs) They're just going to keep going, getting bigger and bigger. So, fair play. They ended
0: 2019 by headlining Tux. And again, it's something that I mentioned a fair bit here, but it's a kind of bucket list of of aspirations that Scottish bands and artists tend to have and headlining King Tut's is, is generally one of them. I can't imagine it was any different for you guys.
1: Aye. I mean, we played King Tut's a couple of times but it was mainly local band nights where you just kind of, you know, you just got a ticket spot or something. So that was the first kind of, that was the first gig that we'd been offered where it was like, right, you get a fee here and it doesn't really matter how many tickets you sell but we we sold it out on the first day and we were we were actually really surprised. We were like, right, if we can sell it out before the show happens, then we'll be dead happy with that. And it sold out in the first day and we were just blown away to be honest. And uh, it was just it was great to go in uh, on the day of the gig, knowing that you're going to play a sold out show. Um we get our dinner there. Uh, we get given a, a bottle of whiskey for selling it out. So it was, it was good fun. It was good, good experience as well.
2: what did you have um, for
1: your dinner? Oh, I can't even remember. Actually, I think it was like some kind of chili thing. I can't remember. <laughs> it was like two, it was like nearly <laughs> two years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm I've going I've got to actually ask that as the first question. Anybody that comes on in future, what did you have for your dinner two years ago today? <laughs> <laughs> in detail, please.
1: <laughs> some form of chili. That's what. That's what I'll go with.
0: I think that's what I'm having tonight, actually. At SWG3, <laughs> uh, as you say, it was a matter of of days before the whole world turned to shit. And in the lead up to that, I can, I can remember being a few gigs myself around about that time. Was the talk amongst the band that there was a good possibility that that show might get canned or that uh, things were going to change am- and not too distant?
1: Well, it was basically that day that they were talking about it on the news. So I think it kinda just made the cut, but we were walk- there was people like asking us like, is this going ahead tonight? And all that. And we were like, as far as we know, ah, it's-, it's going ahead. Um, and even in the lead up to, you know, I'll set, we were thinking, Is this really gonna go ahead or are we gonna get like shut down or what is gonna happen here? Um but obviously it went ahead. And then I think the next week, everything we was, like, closed, so... But it was good. That I was, like, that was probably, like, my favourite gig to play, just, like, seeing the reaction. And, like, there's a video um, that we put up on YouTube and uh, we stopped. Can um, I like, at the end, i do it to myself and people started singing it back. Um, and it was just like just watching that was amazing. That was the first time that I'd kind of seen that happen. Um so that that was brilliant watching that. And since then, like the past two gigs we've done, uh now we always stop at that wee bit and let everyone sing back. So I that you know, it was it was magic that gig. I
0: know the 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 pandemic gets a lot of, of focus as a as a talking point for for stopping band's momentum. I know that everyone was in the same boat, but it must have been difficult from going from that high of SWG3 and the atmosphere and having your lyrics sang back at you to 545 days without a a gig and that Mm -hmm. kind of void when you've been so used to to playing so many gigs over the, the previous year and a half, really.
1: Uh, it was crazy, like, I think um, it definitely did, um, you know, stop them. We were on like a really, um, you know, we had a lot of momentum at that stage just before the lockdown hit, and I think we were, we were just about to put out that EP. I don't even, was that, I can't even remember if that came out. Well, that came out during lockdown, we put our EP out during lockdown. Um, and, You know, that kind of tidied us over for a wee bit. Um, but then, like, maybe the past couple of months, I feel like Everything started to slow down again. We were just like, "Oh Jesus," because we are not really the most like tech savvy band. So like, everyone was creating all this content for social media, and we are just sitting thinking like, "What do we do here? Like, we're we'll not getting anything left to get anything left to <laughs> <laughs> we'll anything left that we can post unless like, we like we we are a live band, so we like to play gigs. That's just it." Um, and without that, it's really difficult to, you know, keep up with everybody else that's got the kind of money or the the ability to create, um, you know, online content and things. Um, so it was difficult the past couple of months, but hopefully now that everything has been lift lifted, we can just kind of not pick up where we left off, because I think we had getting knocked back a wee bit, but start to build things up again.
0: You did say about the, not being too tech savvy, but you were involved in, in quite a number of, of virtual gigs. And I, I think that a positive for me was that while I wasn't able to go to gigs, at least I was getting to discover new music through quite a lot of these kind of showcase events and, and things like that, because the best man in the world with so much time on their hands there, they're sitting in the couch on furlough for for the first three or four months, of it. so there wasn't there wasn't much else to do apart from browse about the internet and, and just hope to find something that's going to pass the time for for even just a night. That um maybe opened up some new doors to people to discover your music, I guess.
1: Potentially, huh? I, I mean, I wasn't a, I wasn't a very big fan of the um the kind of. Doing the online gigs because it's just not really us. Um, like I don't feel like it showcases us in the best light if it's just an online video of us playing to nobody. Um but it's obviously it's the best you can do under the circumstances, really, into it.
0: yeah, yeah, that was it. I think there was a there was a few bands. Um I really like the the shambolic stuff and I liked um March up in the bicycle thieves. Uh, they did quite a lot of kind of kind of clever stuff during the first lockdown, mm-hmm. especially. But I think you're right, and what began to grate in me a wee bit was that the prices started getting charged the fifteen to twenty quid to watch a stream, and I'm thinking, no, oh, I'm sorry, that's because it. it does nah. feel a bit. It, it was they kind of saying we're we're watching the football and. In empty stadiums as well, it's so soulless. There's, there's not that kind of atmosphere that drives the game forward. So it's, it just feels like it's, it's artificial, really.
1: No, agreed. Um, I, I I would say, I would say exactly like you've hit the nail on the head. Though, like as, see when people started charging for things, I was like, "Ah, right, get this the fuck. Like I can't be asked. I'm not paying to watch somebody play their tunes to a lower level than what I could listen to on Spotify. Do you know what I mean? It's it, I go to a gig to experience it live. There's something special about being there with everybody else watching it. That's what you go to a gig for, I think. Um, paying to see a live stream, to me, is just pointless because I could just go and watch a video that's already been recorded of the band playing it, or I could go and listen to them on Spotify. So that, that 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 annoyed me as well when people started to church.
0: Yeah, I, I could kind of see the I could see the reasoning behind it in terms of it was obviously almost reaching desperation stage, but that that was another thing. That you got to about the September, October time. And I think I must have had about seven or eight gigs there at that point that were all postponed and didn't even have a date. But you're still seeing bands announcing further tour dates, and you're thinking, "How do you know what's going to happen a couple of months down the line?" Because nobody else seems to. So it was just
1: that was it as well. I think the only thing that we'd had announced was Transmit, and we were just kind of waiting for that to happen. Um, we we didn't want to announce any gigs, or like we didn't want to plan to put any gigs on, just because, like, if you put a gig on, it gets postponed, the postponed, and postponed. People are just going to gradually forget about it, and. I'd rather just wait until everything was sorted and then we could just announce it, which is exactly what we've done. And I think that was kind of the better idea.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's 100% right. The the thing is as well, and only kind of speaking from my own experience, but you suffered so many setbacks mentally during that time as well, that when you've got that wee glimmer of light where you've got a a gig that you've booked and then it gets cancelled it feels like a wee bit of a setback to you and you're just a kind of other kick where it hurts so it was uh, I, no, I it got to a stage where I just stopped entertaining the idea of going to anything or booking anything to avoid that disappointment
1: I know you're right I mean it's not only not only is it disappointing for I, the band because they're getting their show cancelled but it is disappointing for the fans as well like if I hear a show's getting cancelled or postponed, it, it kind of puts me off going. Do you know what I mean? It kind of annoys me. Yeah. So, um, I agreed. I agree with you sooner.
0: When, uh, what was that supposed to mean? Came out in July of 2020. And I'm quite interested in how you kind of took in the feedback there because you're releasing music at a time where you're not getting out to to road test it live. Is that a a nervy process that you're just kind of sitting there, you've hit the button on it and you're just waiting for the feedback?
1: Uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well, I think we, we did play the songs live before uh, before we released them. Obviously, it's a bit different because nobody really knows it, but at, it was quite strange because at the time, some people were singing the words back before we'd even put the songs out. Um, so we knew that they were going to be, like, like, well-received in a way because people already liked them before we even released them. But um suppose you just kind of need to look at the, the stream numbers and all the analytics and the data and... Like that crap to work out if people like it or not, and I suppose the social media reaction is where you get like you know your fans commenting on it and saying if it's any good or not. Which most of them oh, didn't get any bad reviews, so
0: that, that must that. come as a that must come as a nice lift when when you're maybe struggling to keep your focus and you're playing these virtual gigs where you feel it's it's not really. The real thing so it maybe just gives you that motivation that when things return you've got these people that are going to be there backing you and, and supporting your music
1: 100 uh-huh, it's good to know that they've kind of stuck around um because it'd be easy to just never listen to us again <laughs> and go and find a new band do you know what I mean but uh, uh, it's it's good that people have kind of stuck around this full time and They've not kind of been put off by the fact they can't see it live or whatever. Um, but aye, I'm just I'm just buzzing to kind of play a, another headline show at King Tut's again and see what it is with that.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll go on to that just now. You, you've released new music this year as well. It's Your Life. And then Easier Said Than Done came out in May as well. And the video to that seems like something that you've put a lot of time and focus into as well. Is, is that the first kind of bigger scale production that you've done uh, for one of your tunes?
1: Um, kind of, it was, it's quite strange because I feel like we put a lot less, like, not, not, I wouldn't say we put a lot less work in it, but it was just like when we were going down and recording it, it felt a lot less stressful. Trying to put it together. Um, but I feel like it does sound equally as big or equally or maybe even bigger than the tunes that we put out uh, previously to that. Um and I think we are kind of getting towards the sound that we want like we wanted to achieve from the beginning. Um because when I look back to kind our first EP that we put out, then we've kind of like chopped in half now and ditched two of the tunes. Um, it, it was it was what we wanted to do at the time, but overall, since then we've kind of changed our kind of ideas and we want to move towards the sound that we've kind of been putting out over the past year, a uh, year and a half. And uh, we've got some tunes sitting there ready to get, uh, ready to get released. So. They're kind of in a, in a similar vein to the tunes that we have uh, put out this year as well, and they've been recorded in the same place. So, um, aye, I'm buzzing to just get them out as well and just show everybody like kind of what we've been working on the full time we've been away.
0: Uh, for me, this is this is one of your songs that feels the biggest, it, it just feels like a, a proper anthem, and, and really, really mm-hmm. as, as if you Let's have still- kind of evolved that sound to the point where. It's what, quite what polished, but that? it's also easier said than done. Easier said than done, right. Yeah. And uh, I, I just think it sounds huge. It, it sounds like a band that are really comfortable with the the style, and I, I, I just think that it's it's kind of almost made for kind of bigger stages. And when you look mm-hmm. at going out to transmit, the disappointment of that being postponed, and it was kind of two years in the making, getting on the kind of cut stage there to to play these songs. What was that feeling like arriving at Glasgow Green knowing that you were going to play to a big crowd at a festival? It must have been massive for you. I I
1: mean so, so the morning or well, the night before uh, we were in practicing and um it was we went through the set twice and we went to do it a third time. And my voice just completely disappeared. I, I don't know what happened, but just completely disappeared. And I couldn't... And my throat was all sore. And then I was like, oh, no, it's a disaster. The one... Like, we've waited a year and a half to play this gig. And I'm not going to be able to play it because I can't sing. Um. So the film on, them basically, it wasn't fully excitement for me. It was of me shitting myself because... I thought I was going to, my voice was going to crack on stage and be recorded by the BBC and be immortalized for everybody to laugh for the rest of the time. But, um, I I was just, I was really nervous before it, and I don't usually get nervous before, uh, before gigs, but for that one, I was really nervous, and um, I mean, I went with it went without. I feel like I just was eating honey all morning, uh. I had like loads of uh, loads of like cough syrups and things like that, so I just kind of patched up my voice for the morning and made sure that the set went well. And then after that, my voice just disappeared. Like after the set, my voice disappeared. And I was trying to sing along to like Liam Gallagher and all that, and I just didn't know it. But aye, yeah, it, it went well. That's all I can say.
0: The crowd. I was I was actually watched it back in in preparation for this uh, because I'm actually a wee bit more professional than you would think. But the uh, the the crowd for one o'clock in the day, that, that's staggering. Like I've seen bands at, at festivals been on that early, and they're playing to the stewards. <laughs> it's it's packed. Uh, I know. Uh, are getting right into it as well, which just I, must be looking I, out, going wow.
1: <laughs> it took a wee while to get them going, I think, because it was so early. Um, I mean, there was people that came up to us after it and said, oh, we missed the first couple of songs because we couldn't get in in time. Like, the the queues outside were massive. And I think that was kind of part of the... I feel like if we were on later in the day, we'd be definitely had a, a much bigger crowd. But I think it was to do with um all the kind of COVID protocol. So I think usually our slot would be, like, half two. But we were on at five past one. So, like... I think the fact we were on so early, even though it was a good crowd, would have been more detrimental because just the fact that people couldn't get in or they weren't—I mean, personally, I wouldn't go to a festival that early. I would show up at like three, probably.
0: I know it's but six I thirty. Just... 30 You've
1: not <laughs> Aye, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I would, I would maybe show up a wee bit later. So I don't, I don't know, like. No gripe with people showing up a bit later, but um aye, like the crowd was still good.
0: And the crowd at Liverpool sound city as well. So that there was people not getting knocked back from the venue because it was it was that busy. That just must whet your appetite for for next year when touch wood that the the protocols yeah, yeah, and I, the guidelines for entry should be relaxed a bit more as well. So you won't face these kind of logistical problems? Well, I, it was people... It was actually... The venue was at
1: Um So that's why people were getting kind of knocked back. Um, people are... I, I, I get told that people were asking of Voodoo's playing and they were saying aye. And they were like, oh, well, it's like... It's at capacity, you can't get in. They get turned away. So that was, it was nice to hear that... We've never played Liverpool before. That's where we recorded our songs, but... Um, I've never actually played a gig before um, until then, so it was good to hear that you know people actually wanted to get come and see us. Um, and a lot more people than I thought were at that gig, so I know it was good.
0: And then this podcast will be out following the, the DMA's gigs, but there's a band that have really a master, a huge following across the UK. They, We're meant to be playing the summer sessions in Edinburgh, but instead it's two nights at the Edinburgh Academy instead, as well as Greenock Town Hall, you've got there as well. Three big gigs and and three gigs in home soil as well. I keep on using the word exciting, but it it must be in in terms of you've got these opportunities. uh, The reaction to the fact that you've got the support slot is really positive as well. So it seems like if people can get down there early, they will do and, and get along and support you.
1: I mean, I, I, hope, I hope there is people down early and coming to see us. Um, I mean, that's kind of what support slots are about, to kind of try and, you know, steal the, <laughs> steal the fans of the headline act. Uh, so hopefully we can, you know, build up a bit more of a following kind of in Edinburgh and, I don't know, Greenock. I've, I've, I think we actually played Greenock once. Uh, just in like a wee pub but I I think that's this is, I've never really heard of that many bands playing in Greenock so God It's a, like, a pretty untapped mark in Greenock I would imagine so that's I uh, think so. An opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I think so I uh, um no I'm I uh, buzzing over the minute to actually be playing these gigs like we we've built up kind of a good relationship with Johnny took um like when before pandemic and things like that, we you know we hung about him a couple of times, and you know, sound um, he's a good part of jokey. Uh So I think kind of that we connection there kind of helped us get that slot. And
0: that that's that's a kind of example of of just having someone with that influence, isn't it? That it can get you on the the radar of these bands, and you build up relationships that can. It can really kind of build a, a community spirit type thing where bands are looking out mm-hmm. for each other and and, and who knows what well, happens it, I when, think, next uh, summer and so on and so forth.
1: That's it. I think you kind know, of this industry is more about creating and building relationships with you know other people that you know like can help can help you out. I suppose, but like. I, it's just going to, like, it's really important that you build up uh, relationships with people and just kind of build for there.
0: Then, on to a couple of weeks' time, TUTS in the 4th of November. Uh, if you're looking for tickets for that, you're on to Plums because it's sold out yet again. Uh, and again, it was very quickly sold out.
1: Uh, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's quite funny because I think vast majority of the tickets went on the first day like um pretty pretty close to selling out on the first day and then for the next week or something we, we just kept posting like going to get this sold out like it's actually it was actually been because there was like so little tickets left and I was like ah, I'm just going to get these bought but slowly but surely I think it took like a week which is still which is still class like um to sell out but and i was i was hoping to beat the one before (laughs) but uh, not quite
0: that's it it'll still be a you've kind of built on your sound you'll have the experience of of playing the likes of transmit behind you as well it it seems like it's all going the the right direction there's playing sold out gigs at any venue shows that you're in demand whether that's to to 10 people or 100,000 people it's uh, there'll, there'll be a special atmosphere on the night
1: uh, well that's uh, I sold out gigs I sold out gig up. It. it doesn't really matter how quickly you quickly sell it out it's still sold out so aye no, I can't wait to actually just play it like it's just like you, you know that way you, because we've been held back for so long, I'm just desperate to get playing and playing and playing. So we've only managed to play like three gigs, I think, since since the lockdown's been lifted. So it's just I'm still still ready to go. Still desperate to get more gigs under our belt and uh, show can kind of everybody the new the new tunes. Like we've got a new tune that's coming out very soon. That's all I can say. Um, And that's been added to the set. That was in the transmit set. Um, And we've got, we'll probably have another couple of tunes that people have never heard uh, getting played at King Tut's as well. So we'll probably be playing our longest set as well. Uh, I think we've got like, like we've got a good 45 minutes in us anyway for King Tut's. I think that's all I could do. I'm not fit enough to last any longer than that, so.
0: There's not enough money in the yeah. world to get you through any of any longer. No,
1: I don't think so. Not <laughs> not at this stage anyway. It's a lot of energy to put in, so. <laughs>
0: we've we've been talking about the fact that there was so little for so long, and now it seems like everything's building up at pace again. What are your aspirations and targets following the King Tut's gig? It, it does seem to be all go. You've you've got tunes there written, ready to be released. Is is the next proper stepper? A full album is there a, a headline tour maybe in the offing? what? What's your thoughts there?
1: I'd love to do both. Um, I mean, when I when we kind of started the band, my main goal was to play Tea in the Park, and obviously, obviously, that's now just transmit, which we've done, so I was happy to do that. It was one of the main goals, complete, ticked off the list. Another one was to get an album done. Um, you know, if we can get an album done, I mean, we've got enough songs, we've got enough material to, to get an album, so there's no reason why we can't, other than, like, the fact it costs, like, a lot of money. <laughs> um, and a headline tour as well. A headline tour would be magic if we could get that, like, across the UK and maybe even go further afield and try and get out of the country and play there, so just anywhere, really. Um aye, any of that would be ideal. We've not really um put like a great deal of thought into what we should be doing or no well, what, what we like can do because obviously there's still a wee bit of uncertainty with the whole pandemic at the moment and you just never really know. So it is diff- it's still difficult to plan, but we're going to have uh, we do have a, a kind of basic plan in place that I can't really go fully into without giving too much away.
0: Oh, that's fair enough. I'll, uh, I'll probe you another time then. That's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> just just as we head to finishing up the podcast, I'll uh, we'll head back to the generic questions at this point of any episode to ask. My guest for three Scottish artists or bands that you'd like to to recommend that the listeners may or may not have heard of.
1: Um so Stone Immaculate, I really like Stone Immaculate, they're brilliant. Uh, a band called Dinosaur 94 from Edinburgh. I've only just heard them the other day, but they're really good. Um and a third one. Uh, I mean I've not even heard any of their tunes, but I know that Fabric Bear are now no longer a band. And that the Big Day are now a band. And I'm excited to hear what they've to offer with their new tunes. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Sure, nice one. And then just the final the final question,
0: the Easy, generic one. Is there anything else at this point that we've maybe not discussed that you would like to to plug or promote? Where can we find you on social media? Uh, if you get any maps that you're you're looking to shift, uh, let us know.
1: Yeah, well, we're on all the social medias at Voodoo's, but the last o is a zero. Um, we've just made a TikTok, which I mean, pardon me, thanks, tries to be sold out, but um, fuck it. It's just feel like posting mad stupid videos. So that's what we're going to do on that. If you're interested in any of that terrible content. um, And uh, we're going to have some merch coming up soon. So I out for that. Uh, we'll be on it at gigs. I'll be putting it online as well.
0: Right, man. Uh, I would like to just take the opportunity to wish you all the best going forward. I'm really looking forward to, to get the chance to see you on Sunday. Um, Hopefully make it to Tuts as well. It's uh, it's looking like an exciting time, and I'm sure you guys are going to smash it. So all the best to you.
1: Thanks very much, mate. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Scottish Indie Podcast. I'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, thank you and goodbye.